Sure. <clears throat> Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. After his resurrection, the first person Jesus appeared to in his resurrected form was Mary Magdalene. Did you guys know that? Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus in his resurrected form. She was also the first to tell. She's the first person prototypically sent out with a great commission. The exact announcement or the exact instructions was go announce to the disciples, to the apostles, what you've seen, that Christ is risen. <clears throat> so she was the first to see, first to tell. Now Mary Magdalene comes from a background of spiritual oppression and spiritual darkness. But it's not the story that you may have heard about her. As I studied the story of Mary Magdalene, my heart broke because I looked at it, I said, history has done my sister in Christ wrong. They did her wrong. What do you know about Mary Magdalene? What do you know about her past? What was her past? Maybe someone shouted out to me, what have you heard? She was a what? Prostitute. Where would you find that in scripture? You know, scripture does not hide adultery, does not hide the sins in the dark past of the main characters. King David, the adulterer, yet the man after God's own heart. Solomon, adultery. Scripture does not hide it. If Mary was a prostitute, that'd be a great testimony. But nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, and even John MacArthur says this, nowhere in Scripture do we find any evidence that she was a prostitute. Could she have been? Maybe, but not from Scripture. In fact, they did her so wrong that by the 17th century, Maybe some of you can relate to this where somebody, someone tags you in an event, but you weren't there. Someone tagged you in a photo. Or maybe you're that person that when something went wrong, they're like, oh, it must have been him. It must have been her, only worse. By the 17th century, the term Magdala became a title for a reformed prostitute. That means that if you were once a prostitute turned into a saint, they called you a Magdala. They did my sister wrong. I mean, how would you feel? This is our sister in Christ. I mean, I know Mary's in heaven. She forgives. But she's looking at church tradition, and she's like, my goodness. The whole world thinks I was a prostitute. But she did have a dark past, and we'll get to that. But, you know, in, in, in Luke chapter 7, there's this woman who people think it's Mary Magdalene, but it's not. There's this woman who broke an alabaster jar full of perfume and used her hair to wipe Jesus' feet and anoint his feet. And people write the story that that was Mary Magdalene. But it's not Mary Magdalene. There's no scriptural evidence for that. There's no cross-reference that backs that up. And the reason why people say that is because they read the prostitute story into it. They're like, you know, Jesus saved her from prostitution. Therefore, she came from such a broken life that, that she stoops down and breaks this jar of perfume and uses her hair to wash Jesus' feet. How many of you heard that? That was not Mary. They did my sister wrong. Others, they look at John chapter 8, an extra insert into the original canon. In John chapter 8, and there's this famous story 
that you might have seen in the movies or read about, where there's this adulterous woman, and the Jewish leaders surround her, and they're about to stone her, not California-style marijuana, but with rocks. They're going to execute her, and Jesus stands in front. He gets down on his knees, and he starts riding in the dirt. Have you guys seen this in the movies? He starts riding in the dirt, and we have no idea what Jesus wrote, but whatever he wrote, these religious leaders drop their stones and their weapons of hypocrisy, and they all back away and walk away. And you know what people say? That that adulterous woman, that was Mary. And that's why Mary loved Jesus so much. But again, nowhere in scripture does it say that that's Mary. So today I want you to, I want to introduce you to the real Mary Magdalene. She did have a dark past. And that dark past, and you see the thing is, scripture gives us all the details that we need. Scripture is sufficient. That dark past is in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want to show you this, and I'm going to tell you the most ridiculous thing I've found in my research about Mary that's been said about her. But first, Luke chapter 8. Here's the real Mary Magdalene. This is all scripture tells us. It says, soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, <clears throat> went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And also some woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So right there, you kind of see that there were a band of women who, a band of sisters that traveled with Jesus and his disciples. And there says, these women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And then it says, Mary called Magdalene, because she's from this town of Magdala, this fishing town located on the shores of Galilee. Magdala, Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That's her past. That's her story. Is here is a woman who was under deep spiritual oppression. Not adultery, not prostitution, but literally demon-possessed. Seven demons. And Jesus rescued her, freed her. And so she gave her entire life to Christ. She was, I would argue, one of the most faithful, if not the most faithful disciple. You know that some would say that she was the last one at the cross? We know that she's the first to the tomb. The story of Mary surrounding Easter was that she was there at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she watched as her Savior was crucified. She watched as her Savior was tortured, and as he breathed his last, and as he cried out, it is finished, she watched all of that. Then they, she saw them take down Jesus' body, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking Jesus, burying him in a tomb, and she was the one who actually saw the location of this tomb. Without Mary, the apostles would not know where to go. So the very next morning, she races back to that tomb. And so what we see about Mary was, you could say and argue that she was the last one to leave the cross. She was the first one to the tomb. She loved Jesus, but not in the way that church tradition has done her wrong. Now, outside of church tradition, there were these Gnostic gospels. Around 2003, 
This guy named Dan Brown wrote a book that became a movie. It's called, say it louder, The Da Vinci Code, right? You guys know? Familiar? And in that story, the depiction of Mary was that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' secret lover. And that they even had children together. They did my sister wrong. And you know what else they said about her? They said that when John, the gospel that we're preaching through, when John wrote of the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, that actually it's referring to Mary Magdalene, not John. Now, I think the apostle John would take exception to that, right? John says he's the beloved disciple. He's the disciple that Jesus loved, the John the apostle, not Mary Magdalene. So that's what people have said about Mary. So that's why I say if you've ever been misunderstood, if you've ever been misidentified, if you've ever been misinterpreted, tagged wrongly, pinned with a character that is not true of you, if you've ever been misrepresented, then Mary Magdalene gets you. And as I read story after story of what they've said about Mary, my heart broke for her, but I learned about discipleship. Mary was a disciple of Christ. Early Sunday morning, she raced to the tomb. And as she gets to the tomb, John chapter 20 tells us that she was the first to see the resurrected Christ. Regardless of what church tradition or extra biblical tradition has said about her, she has the highest honor. Mary has the honor of being the first one that Jesus appears to in his resurrected form. But here's the thing about Mary. When she went to the tomb, she went with Friday sight. She went with Friday eyes. She wasn't looking for the Sunday Jesus. Last week, Pastor Albert talked about how we live in a Friday world and we need Sunday. <clears throat> she was looking for what? A dead body, a body buried. She was looking for the crucified Savior. She was looking for Friday Jesus. She had no idea that she would meet Sunday Jesus. You see, Friday Jesus was necessary to pay for our sins, but that payment would not be complete without the Sunday Jesus. It's the Sunday Jesus, the Jesus of Easter, that changes everything. You see, Jesus had rescued Mary from darkness and oppression, and he was with her. But now he would leave and ascend into heaven, and she doesn't realize that apart from the resurrection, she would still be in bondage. That yes, the death was good, the death of Jesus was good, but apart from the resurrection, she would not be truly free from the, bondages of, the bondage of sin and death. I invite you to meet me in John chapter 20 if you're not already there. The passage is also on the screen for you. <clears throat> Let me read this into your hearing. Verse 11, it says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's weeping her Friday tears. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Now, unless these are the California, Los Angeles angels of Anaheim, if you saw two angels in white, would you not be terrified? How does she nonchalantly go about and not be shocked? Some say that she was under so much trauma that she could not recognize these divine, divine types of beings. Now, angels aren't divine. Just get that right. But they're sent from heaven. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had, had lain. 
one at the head and one at the feet, two angels. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. So her theology is right. She believes that the man who was crucified is her Lord. My Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, I say that because a lot of you are believers this morning, and it's not that you have bad theology that you have Friday sight. It's not that you don't love Jesus. She loves Christ. First one to race to the tomb, last one to leave the cross, looking for the body so that she can get the body and perform some rituals and rites over it, some final rites, so that Jesus would be properly buried. But it's not that she forgot, maybe momentarily, she didn't fully understand that Jesus already told her that he needed to be resurrected. Now, why doesn't she... Now, this gets me. As I was studying the Bible, I said, how could she miss two angels? How could she miss two angels? And this is what Mark 16, 5. Mark chapter 16, 5, it describes one angel as looking like a young man. So, in God's sovereign plan, the angel actually appears like a young man, looks like a young man. Now Luke 24, verse 4, Luke, describes the angels as two men dressed in dazzling apparel. <laughs> you see that? Luke, I love how he writes it, dazzling apparel. I mean, Luke thinks it's Paris Fashion Week, but it's Passion Week. I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? Luke says dazzling apparel, two men. And so John doesn't tell you those details. He tells you these are angels. And so that's why Mary did not recognize them, because they looked like regular human beings. But Mary, you're at the right place. Your love is legit. Your theology is legit, but you forgot what Jesus said. You forgot about Sunday. You forgot about early Sunday morning. Jesus taught you many times that he needed to die on the cross for our sins, but he would ascend back to the, to the Father. He would rise again. Mary needed Sunday sight. She was looking in the darkness through the eyes of Friday, looking for the Friday Jesus. Now, in verses 14 to 16, the narrative continues. It says, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Now, get this. Jesus is there, and she still does not recognize him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. How could this be? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. So she's saying, please, tell me where he's laid. I want his body. I'll take care of it. Now, why would she think this is a gardener? Because who would be at a tomb on the first day of the week? Only a gardener, working the grounds, doing the work. So she thinks he's a gardener, until verse 16. Verse 16, she turns Italian. She says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's not Italian, okay? It's not Italian. It's Aramaic. <clears throat> so Jesus said, NIV, right? The new Italian version, Rabboni, or Rabbani. 
So Jesus said to her, Mary, isn't that like you and me, beloved? You got the right theology. You might even be at the right place, church, a prayer meeting, community group. But you're going through stuff in life when you're processing the death of your loved ones. This was a traumatic event for Mary. So whatever that trauma might be for you, you're dealing with cancer, dealing with stress in life, dealing with family issues, and you're looking for Jesus. And he could be standing right in front of you. He could be even speaking because he does through his word, but you don't recognize your Lord until he calls you by name. Now, scholars emphasize that John, being the theologian that he is, that he could be emphasizing the same theme you see throughout John, where faith comes by hearing the word of God, not just seeing. You have in next week's passage, which we'll talk about the English muffin disciple, Thomas, who doubts and says, oh, I, I got to touch you to know. Then you have Mary. You have Mary who loved Jesus Christ, but it wasn't until the Lord called her by name. That's the same for us. You could be searching and be in the right place and believe in the right things, but until he calls you by name, will the word of God make sense to you? Some of you, maybe you're here today, this morning, and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, and we're so glad that you're here. And maybe you've heard about Jesus You've heard stories about Jesus. You've seen movies or TV shows about Jesus. At least you believe that Jesus is a historical character of, that had a morally upright character in him, and he's a good person to try to follow. And so you can know all these things about Jesus. You can even study apologetics. But until he calls you by name, you will not recognize him. And that's what's happening here. See, we're just like Mary. She, she got to see the resurrected Christ. You and I have not seen the resurrected Christ. But faith comes to us through hearing. We believe because we believe that Jesus has called us to himself. He's called us to worship him, to surrender to him, to confess our sin to him, to repent and to follow him. He, he's called us as individuals. He's called us by name. And so she responds, and finally she realizes this is Jesus. Now, I want you to notice <clears throat> her response. You know, she's thinking John chapter 10, verse 3, right? She's followed Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 3, maybe the words come to her memory. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It was the Messiah who went to Mary and said, Mary, you're filled with demons. I'm going to free you. I'm going to call you out by name. And now it's Jesus that visits Mary in his resurrected form and says, I call you by name. I call you by name. Now, Jesus gives her the mission. Says, you've seen me, now you got to tell. But she wants to cling to him. Now, what I want you to take away from this is that we should worship Christ. John 15 said, abide in Christ, remain in him. We should remain. 
But the whole essence of discipleship is not just remaining in Christ. But as Christ fills you with the Spirit, you're remaining in Him as you go. From the very first person that He appeared to, He gave the Great Commission. The unfinished task. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. But Mary's is not. And so, if you notice, verse 17, verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, there's been a lot written over this because the literal translation is, don't touch me. No, 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 can't touch this, right? That's, but I just take the most simplest interpretation, which I think the English translations are okay. Don't cling to me. Because some scholars make a big deal and they say it's really in the original, don't touch me, meaning there's this, there's this ascension that, that Jesus ascends before he appears to his disciples and then there's a second ascension in Acts and all of that. That's a whole different sermon that we can talk about or maybe something we can discuss in Sunday school, but I think it's much more simple. Mary loves Jesus, so she's clinging onto him with her Friday arms. I lost you on Friday, Jesus. You changed my life. You rescued me from spiritual slavery. So I followed you. I served you. I saw them crucify you. And my heart broke. And I went early in the morning to do honor to your dead body. And now I see that you're alive. And I just want to remain in him. I just want to abide. I just want to hold on to you, Jesus. And he reminds her quickly of the mission. Mary, don't cling to me, for I've yet ascended to the Father. Meaning between now and the ascension, there's a lot of work to do. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went. She didn't argue. She said, but, 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 but Jesus, she went and she announced the good news that he is risen. He's risen indeed. She announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now, let me break this down for you. I'll come back to the clinging later. <clears throat> but first, Jesus speaks to Mary about a brand new relationship. It's a mission, but it's a family mission. He says, your father, my God and your God, my father and your father. Verse 17 talks about a new access, a new relationship that we as believers in Jesus Christ have with God the Father. We, we enter into the family of God. You know, this is the very first time that the disciples are referred to as brothers, or some of your translations might say brethren. Previously, Jesus referred to them as servants or friends. This is the very first time that Jesus refers to the disciples as brothers, family members, spiritually speaking. Because when he went to the cross, he paid for our sins and he made it possible for any of us who trust in him to become part of God's family. You know, John chapter 16, verses 26 to 27, it says this. <clears throat> John 16 in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Verse 27 of John 16, for the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came from him. You see, it says that you will ask in my name. So in the past, 
It's like, hey, Jesus, can you ask God to forgive us? Hey, Jesus, can you ask God, the Father, can you talk to the Father to give us clarity on our mission? But Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're part of the family now. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You ask, but in my name. That's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. So we ask directly to the Lord. Direct access to God the Father. And what Jesus is saying to Mary is, Mary, you and the disciples have this access now. Don't cling to me. I need to leave so the Spirit will come. You can ask directly to God the Father. You see, now we move to understanding why Jesus said, don't cling to me. And why Mary's not offended by it. Because Jesus is likely telling Mary, the plan must be accomplished. The mission must begin. I must ascend to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because it's through the coming of the Spirit that you guys will announce to the nations that I have risen, that I've risen indeed. The post-resurrection appearances needed to happen. There's a divine timeline, and we must move quickly according to plan. And so Mary understands this. All of the memory of Jesus' teachings come to her mind. She's illuminated, and soon she will receive the Holy Spirit, and she now plays the role of a first missionary of Jesus. What an honor for Mary. You know in the first century, in a male-dominated world, that women were not credible witnesses. Did you know that? that you needed the credible witnesses of men. So if Mary went and said, hey, Jesus is risen, I saw him. All right, woman. That's how they treated women. That's why it was such a big deal in John chapter four when the Samaritan woman was sent to proclaim to the Samaritans, hey, I met this guy and he revealed everything about me. And, And the Samaritans began to get saved. Non-full Jews were saved early in the Gospel of John. You you see what Jesus is doing is that he's reversing the cultural tides. His, His first appearance is not to Peter or John. His very first appearance as resurrection is to a woman, a faithful woman. It was a woman till the end. And I I get this. I'm not, you know, I'm not this guy, I'm not a feminist. Right? But I know, and the pastors know, if we want to get anything done in the church, you need a woman in the meeting, right? Honestly, to carry out the mission. And so here's Jesus saying, Mary, I know, look, while you were following me, my disciples were scattered. In fact, Thomas the English muffin is still not going to believe in me until I show him my hands. Mary, I know that Peter's hiding. I know that they're surprised. I know that I'm going to see them again, but you have been faithful from beginning to end. So I appear to you. You get the honor. Tell them. And so as she goes and she tells them, then the disciples, the male disciples, then become the credible witness. This also shows why the Bible is true. Because if you're trying to fabricate a religion, Why would you write a woman as the witness in a patriarchal, male-dominated world? Why would the woman be the first witness, the first to see and the first to tell? It's because that's actually what happened. And so that shows that the Bible is not trying to make up some false religion, but this is actually it. And so as I began to see Mary, I said, man, Mary, history has done you wrong, but Jesus has done you right. 
History might have misrepresented you, but what an honor. You get to be the first to see and the first to tell of the resurrected king. You can see Mary faithfully going to announce to the apostles the good news that Jesus is no longer dead, that the tomb is empty, that he lives. He lives. He's risen. The big idea of this morning's message is Christ calls us by name. And then he sends us to announce the good news that sin and death are defeated because he's risen. That's the big idea. Christ does not call us by name and just sit us down in the church and say, just stay here. Christ calls us by name and he gives you what? A new identity, just like Mary. Gave her a new identity and then sent her with a new mission. You know, most of us, I haven't talked to one of you that was demon-possessed or was possessed by seven demons. Most of us, that's not our history. But what's worse is spiritual darkness when you don't realize that you're under it. Is when the demons aren't attacking you, but yet your heart loves the world. Your heart pursues the world. Your heart can't see past this world. Even when Jesus is standing in front of you, you can't see that he's the Messiah. You can't see that what you need in terms of giving you a new identity in life and giving you purpose in life, you can't see that it's Jesus, the risen king. And maybe that's you this morning. And maybe that's where Jesus wants to come, call you by name, and he wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. Not from seven demons, but from the spiritual darkness that blinds us. Where we lovingly, and meaning we pursue the world, and we love the world. We're, we're pursuing the world with joy. And the world will leave us empty. You see, once Jesus truly, truly saves you, you will want to cling to him. Because that's what Jesus does to you. But he will send you to announce the good news. The sin and death are defeated because he's risen. Like you and me, Mary needed Jesus to reveal himself to her as the resurrected Messiah. And I mentioned earlier where there are many times, for those of you who are Christians, that we're operating with Friday sight. But Jesus gives us a Sunday faith. A lot of times I'll confess that I get stressed out doing ministry because I'm, I'm approaching ministry with reality. With Friday eyes. Oh, we've got to plan this, we've got to plan this because if we don't do it this way, people won't come. They won't respond to this. Oh yeah, you know, pray for that, but healing probably won't happen. Friday eyes. Friday sight when the foundation of our faith is a miracle of the resurrection. Sunday faith. Sunday sight. And so that's my challenge to you today. Is let's exit these four walls and live with Sunday sight. That's how the resurrection changes everything. And we're not alone. We're not just brought, sent on a mission, but we're on mission together as a family. It's a family business. Go, Mary, and tell my brothers. And what do you think Jesus is going to tell the brothers? Go and make disciples of all nations. 
You see, we're brought into the spiritual family so that together as a family, we pursue Jesus' mission. And like you and me, Mary was sent on a mission to announce the good news of the resurrection of the resurrected Christ. Last time I preached, which was two weeks ago, I gave us a challenge. This is a challenge that you've probably heard from other pastors in the evangelical world. But it was a challenge that it's 2023, and Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected AD 33. So from 10 years from now, it'll be literally the 2,000-year mark of the Great Commission, of Jesus' resurrection and the Great Commission. And my prayer is that as a family, so if you're, if you're getting saved today, you're joining the family. As a family, we would commit to doing our part through the power of the Spirit to move towards finishing that task of the Great Commission. I mean, we don't know. It's just a number, 2,000. Nothing special about it. But what a celebration it would be 10 years from now in 2033 if God used our church and God used your life and your family that together as a spiritual family of God that we would devote our resources, our time, our talents, and treasures to completing the mission that started with Mary Magdalene. Go and announce the good news that I'm risen. Go and tell the nations, don't cling to me. I get it. You want to worship me. You want to stay here. You want to experience the community. But go. Because others need to be healed. You see, the reason why Mary clung to Jesus is because her level of gratitude was so deep. Now, I'll say more about Thomas next week. I know I make fun of him. Thomas was faithful. He was faithful. He was just more of a guy based on facts. I'll, I'll tell you more about Thomas next week. Thomas was a martyr. He gave his life for Jesus, so we won't, we're not going to talk low about Thomas. But the thing about Mary is that when you've been saved from demon possession, there is a weight of gratitude, a depth of gratitude, where you know that Jesus is your everything. couple weeks from now, you're going to see the Apostle Peter. Peter and the apostles are in the boat fishing, and John points out, look, Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. Now, Luke's gospel tells us that that's not the first time Jesus and Peter has reunited. So whatever hard conversation has already happened. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of that boat and runs through the water, swims to Jesus. Why? It's the same heart motion of clinging to Jesus because Peter knows what it's like to have his heart sifted by Satan. He knows what it's like to be so confident. I'll die for you. I'll do this for you. To be the leader of the apostles, but then to betray Jesus like a coward, yet Jesus restores him You see, people like Mary, people like Peter, they love Christ. The level of gratitude is deep because they know what they've been saved from. And if you know what you've been saved from, not only are you going to love Christ, but you're going to give your life to his mission. I think a lot of us, we have a hard time 
with our devotional life, with our love for Christ, and we have a hard time giving our life fully to the mission of God. Because sometimes we forget that you don't have to be demon-possessed to be under spiritual slavery. Jesus rescues us from spiritual slavery, and he defeats sin and death. That's the power of Easter. So if you don't know Christ this morning, I want everyone to bow your heads. Bow your heads, eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, if there's anyone like that in here today, I just want you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking except for me. If anybody wants to receive Christ, I just want you to raise your hand where you're at, and I want to pray for you. Amen. I see you, brother. Is there anybody else that wants to receive Christ? I see your hand in the back. Amen. Anybody else? All right. Let the Spirit do its work. Will you all pray with me? And for, for the two or three of you who raised your hand, if you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, come by the next steps table. And I want to talk to you and walk you through the next steps of what it means to follow Jesus. Praise God. All right. Let's pray. Father, for those who raised their hand, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Father in heaven, we believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin, and I believe that Jesus Christ rose again. Pray that. Pray, Father, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness, and I thank you for forgiving me. Father, I want to turn my heart towards you, so, I, so turn my heart to you now. If you prayed that prayer, and you believe that Christ was risen from the dead, you are now a believer in Jesus Christ. You've now entered into the family of God. And now our church can help you to take the next steps to follow Jesus. Now for the rest of you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm right here praying with you. Father, we as Christians pray that you would forgive us for the times where we live with the eyes of Friday, Friday sight. We see things, even though we love you, even though we know the word, our temptation is we see things through the limitations of this world, the, the difficulties of this world, the challenges of this world. We reach for the solutions of this world. And we're looking for dead bodies and we're looking, Lord, and help us this morning to see, Lord, that you want to give us Sunday eyes and Sunday sight so that we begin to see things through change, through miracle, through the supernatural lens of your resurrection. Change our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those of us who believe in you, that you would remind us of the depths of sin, that, that deep divide that you rescued us from. So that out of gratitude that we would want to cling to you, but then you would send us. Help us to love you more this morning, Lord Jesus, and help us to live for your mission. Father, help us to learn from faithful saints like Mary Magdalene that make, make you, your son Jesus, become our everything. Because it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.